Good morning. Please take your Bibles open to James chapter 3. We'll start with verse 1 today. Practical truth for the Christian life. That's the theme that we're looking at in the book of James. Practical truth for the Christian life. We've now made our way to the third chapter. Today we're looking at verses 1 through 6. If you're able, please stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Pray with me, please. Lord, as you continue to teach us, as you continue to sanctify us, as you continue to bring us into the Lordship of Christ, Lord, let us take and hear your word, receive it into our hearts and our minds, and not only may we be hearers, but doers of this word. Father, you're teaching us some very important truths about a very small member of our bodies today, the tongue. And I pray, Father, that we would hear, receive, and obey your word today. Grow us in our faith, we pray. Lord, if there's one here who doesn't know Christ, we also pray for that one today, that he or she may see their need for you and come to you today. We ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. Friends, when we review the last couple months of James' teaching, particularly from chapter 1 and chapter 2, there's one thing that we can say for sure about the style or the teaching of James, is that he loves to use illustrations. He loves to use examples. And I think we could probably say that he got that from his half-brother, Jesus, because when Jesus taught, he did the same thing. He would tell a story or, or give an example. But as we begin this morning, let's look back over these past two chapters And just see what examples, what illustrations has James used in the text to teach us about God and about our relationship to God and the Lordship of Christ. Let's think back to chapter 1. James talked about a wavering faith. And when he did, he used the example of the waves of the sea. He said, when we ask God for wisdom, but we have a wavering faith, it's as if we're being tossed to and fro in the waves, forward and backward. We're unstable if we have this wave-like, wavering faith. He also said it's like a double-minded man. This is a man who thinks about God one day, 
and has the interest of God in his heart, in his mind, but the next day he doesn't. He doesn't even think about God. He's double-minded in the way he lives his life. It's not good, James says, to be a double-minded man. When James taught about riches, he reminded us of a flower that would be scorched by the sun. And he said that riches are going to fade away in our lives just like this flower fades away in the sun's heat. Daryl taught us about the immutability of God, the fact that God does not change. And James wrote about that when he talked about shifting shadows. You know, we see shadows every single day, and as the day goes on, our shadows get longer, right? They start short and they get longer. We see that change. Well, James says God's not that way. Even though your shadows change, God doesn't change. It's another example. Then James talked about being a doer of the word later in chapter 1. And he says there's the hearer and there's the doer. And you can compare each to a man looking in the mirror. The hearer of the word is the man who looks in the mirror but forgets what he looks like. But the doer of the word is the one who stares into the mirror of God's word and he doesn't forget what he looks like. But the doer goes out and acts and remembers what God has said and applies it in his life. In chapter 2, James talks about partiality. He told a story about a rich man and a poor man coming into the assembly. The rich man having nice clothes and rings on his fingers, the poor man having shabby clothes. And because of the way they looked, we, you said, oh, rich man, sit here in this place, in this nice seat, but poor man, you sit down at my feet. James is teaching us not to be partial based on external appearances. He then taught us about faith and works the past couple of weeks, didn't he? And when he, did, when he did, he talked about a brother who had no clothes and no food who would come into the assembly. And people would say, oh, I see your need. Hope all is well. See you later. Be fed. Be warm. But we're not going to do anything to help you. What good is that, James says, to say you have faith but don't have works? And he continued. He reached into the Old Testament. He said, let's demonstrate faith and works by an Old Testament story. How about Abraham and Isaac? We see that Abraham had faith in God in Genesis 15. He believed God, but his faith was put into action when he was called to take Lazarus and sacrifice him on the mountain in Genesis chapter 22. His faith was demonstrated by his works. Then James says, don't forget about Rahab. Joshua chapter 2. Abraham was a patriarch, but Rahab was a prostitute. Yet she came to know the Lord. She knew the same God that Abraham knew, and her faith drove her to action because she helped the the spies escape in Joshua chapter 2. Friends, these are nine, nine examples, nine illustrations that James is putting into our minds, wants us to see, wants us to remember about our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know that today... As he starts chapter 3, he continues the illustrations. Now today he's zooming in. He's focusing on the tongue. And as he does so, he gives us these three illustrations in the text today. He's going to talk about a bit in the mouth of a horse. He's going to talk about a rudder 
on the back of a ship. And he's going to talk about a spark that starts a forest fire. Illustration after illustration after illustration. But today, as we mentioned, James focuses on the tongue here in chapter 3. And as he does so, here's the way the text breaks down. As Pastor Darrell mentioned just a moment ago, the first thing James does is he talks to teachers about their tongue. The second thing he does is he walks through the three illustrations that we just saw on the screen. And the last thing he does, and you saw the last illustration was the spark and the forest fire. The last point of our sermon is this. What's the effects of fire? What's the effects of fire and how does that show us our need for God in our own lives? Let's look at the first point today. Teachers. Verses 1 and 2. Let's reread the text. Verses 1 and 2. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, but if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. Teachers. Why would James start with teachers when he's talking about the tongue? I think if you think about that, we could rather you could come to a conclusion quite quickly. What's one of the main ways, a main, the main thing that a teacher would use to teach? His or her tongue. By virtue of what teachers do and how they do it, they use their tongue. And James is talking about the power of influence that teachers have over their audience. We're talking about leadership. Leadership is the ability to influence people and teachers who use their tongues have the ability to influence the class they're teaching, particularly young minds in many cases. And the Bible clearly says here that God is going to hold the teacher to a higher standard. The text explicitly says they will be judged more strictly. And what James is telling all of us as teachers is that words, yeah, they really do matter. So our words, especially as teachers, should never be careless or thoughtless, but rather a lot of study has to go in to being a teacher. A few moments ago, Pastor Daryl read from Matthew 23 about the scribes and the Pharisees. And you saw there the Lord Jesus teaching about teachers. And he says that these teachers were teaching for the wrong reasons. Let's talk about three reasons they were teaching that were wrong. Pride, prestige, and position. Think about those three words, the three Ps. You saw in that text... First of all, those who taught for pride, they wanted to be seen by men. For many in life, that's the goal. I want to be seen by men. I want the applause of men. I want the pat on the back and be elevated in the sight of men. That's why they were teaching. Number two is prestige. They love their place of honor. 
Maybe for many today, it's having the letters PhD after the end of a name, or you won such and such award for being a teacher. Now, having a PhD and winning an award, you know, that can be a good thing. But is that the reason you're doing it, to have that prestige, that place of honor? So it was with the scribes and Pharisees. Many of them wanted position. As you read in the text, they had the best seats in the synagogue. They were sitting with the right people in the right place, maybe to be seen by men, and that was an honor. You had all three Ps working at the same time. That was the reason they taught, Jesus said. But what Christ is saying is that those who teach for the purpose of pride, prestige, or position, that's unbiblical. And it should make every teacher take a step back and ask, why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it to be seen by men? Is it to be recognized in a magazine? Is it to have a a seat of honor somewhere? Why do we use the power of words as teachers? We know that Timothy was the apprentice of the Apostle Paul. And toward the ends of his life, Paul wrote two books, First and Second Timothy, to, to Timothy. And this is after a time of Timothy working with Paul on missionary journeys, learning from Paul. And Paul wrote to Timothy, and if you would reread First Timothy 1, he says, Timothy, I want you to stay in Ephesus, and I want you to stay there to to do a particular task. I want you to teach correct doctrine, because doctrine is getting messed up. You have to stay there, teach correct doctrine, take away false doctrine, because when you have false doctrine, and this is the result of 1 Timothy 1, you have a shipwrecked faith. Where there's bad teaching, there will be bad practice, is what Paul says is telling Timothy. And that was his charge. That's why he was staying in Ephesus to make sure correct doctrine was taught in the church. Friends, when false doctrine, when bad teaching goes on in the church, people have shipwrecked faith. I want to give you two examples. As a pastor over these last um, 17, 19 years, I mean, I've preached a lot of funerals, but I've also attended a lot of funerals just by the nature of what I do. And probably 10 years ago, within a one week's time, I attended two funerals up in the Lake Norman area. Let me tell you the stories about these funerals. The first church, we got there, and I'll admit, I was kind of bored when the pastor was teaching. Probably the way you are right now. I wasn't getting much out of the sermon that day. And I'll admit, I was sort of sitting there twiddling my thumbs, kind of waiting for this to get over. But then the pastor said these words in the sermon. He says, but now, folks, I want to tell you the gospel. I thought, this is great. I got up on the edge of my seat and said, he's going to totally redeem himself right here. So I started listening. What is this pastor going to say about the gospel? And this is what he said. Listen. He goes, this is the gospel. In this life, you put in and you put in and you put in. And then you die. And then you go to heaven. And everything that you've put in, God takes it and he gives it right back to you. 
I'm dead serious. That's what he said. I couldn't believe my ears. I had two teenagers from my church sitting right beside me in the church service. They're looking at me like, Pastor, what? What did he say? And I will tell you, I had a tug in my heart to get out of that aisle or to get out of that pew to run down the aisle, get up at the pulpit and tell the 300 to 400 people that were sitting in that congregation that that is not biblical truth. And if you hear this, and if you believe this, you are going to go to hell. There was no mention of sin. There was no mention of a Savior. There was no mention of the blood of Jesus Christ that paid for your sin and mine. There was no mention of asking God to forgive us our sin and for Him to give us His grace, His mercy. It was, hey, do this. It's like a bank, man. You put in, you put in, you put in, and then you withdraw. That's not the gospel. That is not the gospel. The gospel has to do with Jesus Christ and our sinful condition, what he has done for us by his grace, by his mercy, that God demonstrated his love for this, for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's what they needed to hear. Friends, I learned that day that the mission field is the church, that this church needed a missionary to come to it and tell them the gospel. I was astonished, but hey, that's only story number one. Are you ready for story number two? The same week, I attended a sermon at the end of the week. And instead of using the Bible, the pastor got out a children's book. You know what the book was called? Freddie the Leaf. Anyone ever heard of Freddie the Leaf? Oh, let me tell you the story. You see, Freddie was a leaf. <laughs> Isn't that great? Okay. Freddie was a leaf that grew on the tree in the spring. He was a new leaf. It was springtime, the sun was shining. Freddie grew on the tree. And Freddie was starting to grow and thrive in the summer. He had the rains of spring, and now the sunshine was out, and he became a, a big leaf on the tree. And he grew and grew, became the biggest leaf on the tree. Yet, the season of fall was going to come. And when autumn came, Freddie began to change color. He went from a green leaf, and he turned to a, to a red leaf. And then winter came, and you know what? Freddie was all brown. And he wasn't out thriving like he used to be. He sort of curled up and became kind of crumply. And it was during... I'm, I'm serious. Listen, I'm serious when I tell you this. And finally, in the, in the middle of winter, Freddie fell off the tree. And he gently swayed like this down to the ground where he was absorbed into the snow. And he became part of the ground. But don't fret for Freddie. Because Freddie became part of the ground that was used to make nourishment for the new tree. That was going to be planted next to the old tree. And that's it. I'm serious. That took place in a church. Not only is that Eastern religion, it's circular lifestyle, it points you to reincarnation in the church. Not many of you should be teachers 
my brothers, because teachers are going to be judged more strictly. They have the power of influence because of their words over a large group of people. And I will tell you, I said in two churches, I'm not talking about public places. I said in two churches where that's what was coming from the pulpit. Words matter. They hold the power of influence. The gospel was not shared. Friends, not many of us should be teachers. Teachers will be judged with greater strictness. What should teachers do? They should study to show themselves approved. I know one thing I value about our form of government here in the PCA is there is a rigid level of uh, men who go through uh, different, uh, different exams, different candidacy positions in order to, to become a pastor that they have to make sure they're going to preach the gospel and not some man-made story about Fred of the Leaf. The second point today, the three illustrations. The three illustrations. You heard them from verses 3 through 5. Let's talk about them one more time. You have something on one hand that is small yet powerful, and on the other hand you have something that is large yet yielding. The bit in the mouth of a horse, the rudder on a ship, and then a spark with a forest fire. Let's talk about those three quickly. First of all, the bit in the mouth of a horse. Horses are big, strong animals. And without the bit in their mouth, it's almost impossible to control them. Yet you put this small bit in the mouth of a horse... And under the right training, under the right circumstances, you can now control this very large, very powerful animal. I can remember the first time I was on a horse when I was 18 years old. I thought I was big and strong. I quickly learned I'm nothing compared to this horse. It is so strong. Yet, something very small, the bit, is able to control that, which is a lot bigger and stronger than I am. James says, such it is with the tongue. The tongue is a very small member of the body, but it's very powerful, like the bit in the mouth of a horse. And the tongue can control the whole body. The second illustration is that of a rudder on a ship. Compared to the ship, the rudder is small, yet it's powerful. The way the rudder is turned is the way the boat will go. Here's some interesting statistics about being in a ship that has a rudder. And I talked to um, uh, Todd this morning, uh, same thing on an airplane. If you're going somewhere in a boat or on an airplane, and let's say you're just one degree off, just one degree, that your rudder is set, you're a little bit off. If you go 100 yards, you'll be 5.2 feet off. You say, not a big deal. It's trivial. But what happens after a mile? If you go a mile, one degree off with your rudder, you are 90 feet from where you're supposed to be. If you're traveling from San Francisco to L.A., you are six miles off. You wouldn't want to land the plane six miles off, would you? If you were going from San Francisco to Washington, D.C., you know where you'd end up? Baltimore, if you were one degree off. If you're in a rocket going to the moon, 
you will be 4,169 miles off, which is twice the diameter of the moon. If you're going to the sun, you'll miss by over 1.6 million miles, twice the diameter of the sun. The rudder is a small member, yet if it's not set correctly, if it's one degree off, you're going to be way off. Folks, let me ask you a question, and this is where it hits home. Has your tongue ever guided you to a destination where you didn't want to be? Have you ever started a conversation that goes in one direction, but you ended up somewhere else because your rudder, your tongue, was turned? Though the rudder is small, it is very, very powerful. How powerful? Let's look at the third illustration. This is the one James spends the most time on. The spark and the forest fire. I want to read to you a story. This is an article that I dared to actually cut it out of the Denver Weekly, Denver, North Carolina, Denver Weekly a few years ago about a fire. Listen to this. Universal Rubber Products was in ruins Monday after a fire broke out at the business Sunday. Charred and twisted metal filled the inside of the structure. Just 18 hours earlier, the scene was an inferno with 50-foot flames and thick black smoke that could be seen for miles. It was all because of a trash fire that got out of control, officials said. That's what we're looking at. A member of the North Carolina Forest Service said, A small trash fire a few hundred yards from the manufacturing facility was swept into a wooded area by gusty winds on Sunday and then pushed through a grassy field and right into the plant. Fire officials said the flames moved at 12 feet per second at one point in their journey to the building. And by the time the crews had arrived to fight it, All they could do is keep it from spreading to other businesses in nearby homes. Friends, this is a story of a small fire creating a massive fire, a spark starting a huge fire. Let's retell the story, shall we? Let's retell the story as it applies to our own words, maybe in our own homes. Have you ever had a story like this? My family was in ruins on Monday morning after the tongue lashing that broke out at my home on Sunday. Broken and damaged hearts filled my house. You see, just 18 hours earlier, the scene was an inferno with 50 curse words and vulgar language that could probably be heard for miles. And it was all because of a small argument that got out of control. That's what we all heard, my neighbor said. You see, a small argument about money swept into my house. And with the gusty winds of a quick temper, lack of self-control and pride, it pushed it all the way down the hallway to my children's rooms. My neighbor said my vulgar and damaging words seemed to be rattled off at 12 words a second as I was yelling at my wife. And by the time my neighbor got there, my wife was brokenhearted, my children were emotionally frail, and all that they could do was contain me from spreading my anger to anyone else. 
Friends, such is the power of words. Like a spark that starts a forest fire. So our words can be damaging to others. Friends, I know we've all had experience with this at some level or another. We have learned that our words tear down relationships. They slander our friends. They bear false witness against our neighbors. They lie. They deceive. Friends, our words in our lives, they bring down our entire moral character. They sow discord. They ignite hate. And we can corrupt our whole lives. And what's the bottom line? As this text says, no man can tame the tongue. No man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And what does that show you and what does it show me? It shows us our need for God. We just sang this song, Lord, I need you. Oh, how I need you. Every hour I need you. Friends, no man can tame the tongue. Every single one of us need God in our lives. The God who brings self-control. The God who brings patience and perseverance. We need that God in our lives because our tongues are completely out of control. I want you to know the good news of the gospel is that the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world and he died for our sins, even the sins of our tongue. All the hate, slander, lies, deceit, envy, and jealousy that pour forth from our mouth, Christ came to die for that. But he not only came to be your Savior and to die for that, he came to be your Lord, to restore you to a Christ-like image so that you can have self-control, that you can have patience, that you in your life can love your wife as Christ loved the church, men. That women, you can respect your husbands in the Lord. That parents, we can train up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That we can get rid of this talk of, you're an idiot. I hate you. You're fat. You're ugly. Tearing down to the people with our words. We can get rid of this match that lights this small fire that turns into this huge explosion in our, in our homes and in our houses. Maybe it's your workplace. That's why we need God in our lives. No man can tame the tongue. My first question is, do you have God in your life? If you don't, if you're here today without Jesus Christ, know, know that he will be your savior, that he will forgive you for your sin. Turn to him and trust him. But if you're here and you already know Jesus, he came also to be your Lord. Lay down your tongue at the feet of Christ. Submit all parts of your life unto him. A verse I want to end with this morning comes from the Psalms. Our Psalms, these personal prayers to the Lord. David wrote Psalm 19. We looked at it about a year and a half ago as a congregation. And David in Psalm 19, he's reflecting on God's glory, his, his goodness. He's reflecting on God's word. But the very end of the psalm, it has a verse that I want to challenge you to memorize, to hide in your heart, and to pray at the beginning of every single day as it involves your tongue. We're going to put it on the screen. It's a Psalm 1914. What a way to start your day with this verse every single day of your life. Speaking to the Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight 
O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If you're here to stay and you think what I say doesn't matter, listen to this text. Yes, your tongue is small, but so is the bit in the mouth of a horse. So is the rudder on a ship. So is a spark in a forest fire. It is, they're small, but they're very, very powerful. And before there's an explosion of fire in your life, or even if there has been explosions of fire in your life, say to the Lord, Lord, I need you. Oh, how I need you. May the words of my mouth, may the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Pray with me, please.